Amen. Man, what a, great, uh, what a great time of worship. Man, it's really fun. It really, really is fun to be able to be on the opposite side of it and to be able to just sit and experience that. I know I say that about every single week, and I'm not sure when I'm going to quit saying that, so just kind of get used to it, I guess. But it's just really, uh, it's just really a special, special time. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in James chapter 3. We're going to finish up chapter 3 today. We're going to be in uh, verse 13. Is where we're going to be in 13 through 18 this morning. I want to read you something um, of an article from a little news ad from 1916. This was a newspaper ad from 1916, and it said that it was healthy to give Blatt's beer to infants. It's entitled, How Mother and Baby Picked Up. And it says, A case of Blatt's beer in your home means so much to the young mother, and obviously, baby participates in its benefits. The malt in the beer supplies nourishing qualities that are essential at this time, and the hops act as an appetizing, stimulating tonic. Of course, these days, you ask any doctor uh, who's <laughs> worth their salt in anything, would look at that and go, uh, I don't know about that, right? It's just things that we've learned and knowledge that's been kind of a, uh, you know, accumulated over the years, we've, we've kind of learned that that's not a good thing, Right? It's not a good thing for that to happen. Yes, I'm sure it was a stimulating tonic for the baby. I know that would, um, yeah, uh, melatonin and Benadryl, I guess, uh, would be today's um, elixir for that. Um, I, I would not be, I don't know, I've, I've not really threatened my kids, but I promised my kids Benadryl popsicles if they didn't uh, calm down. And, uh, but I promise you I've never given them a Benadryl popsicle, nonetheless. We've even said it on a few student trips, like, now's about the time for a Benadryl popsicle for some of you guys. But uh, nonetheless, a little stimulating tonic, uh, if you will. But, the, but the, the information and the knowledge we had in 1960, now one, 1916, now 100 years later, um, is probably not the wisest of moves on mothers, right, these days. Nothing, there's no wisdom in that, of course... You know, we would all scoff at that 20th century, early 20th century um, wisdom. So what is wisdom? That's kind of where James kind of puts us today in, in this idea, this understanding of what is wisdom. What is wisdom? It's more than knowledge because knowledge is simply just a collection of information. Uh, I am deathly afraid of heights. Not so much the height aspect of it as is the sudden stop at the bottom is what really kind of gets me uh, when it comes to heights. I do know this, though, is um, I can do about 50 feet in the air, okay, and anything beyond that, my knees start shaking, and they lock, and I can't go any further. I cannot will myself anymore to go any higher. One of the things I, in college, um, my undergrad was in student ministry, but my, um, my minor in college, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful minor, um, but it was church recreation. It's a great minor. So one of the things that I had to do um, is I had to be certified in ropes course. Like, how cool is that, right? That's why I picked it. I was like, yes, I get to be ropes. So I remember having to do, it's called the Alpine Tower. It's 50 feet in the air, and you had to climb these things all the way up. And you're, of course, you're belayed and everything. You get to the top. And the, the easiest part is climbing. That's the easiest part. The hardest part, though, was flipping over the top where your rope flipped over as well, knowing that I, I, you couldn't squeeze through. But if you could squeeze through, you were falling to your death. And that was what scared me. And so I'd get to the top, and I would get to the top, and I would I'd pull myself over, and then I would sit in the middle of this big 
you know, square feet platform just right in the middle, and I wouldn't look. I wouldn't look down. I wouldn't look anywhere. I'd look up. I'd just look out straight and be like, okay, I've made it. And then you have to get back over the side, and then they have to kind of ease you down. I do not like heights whatsoever. Knees shaking. It is scary. So to answer your next question is, would I ever skydive? The answer is no. No, 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 no. Not on purpose. Like, that plane's got to be going down. Like, there is, if, like, if Sully is flying the plane, I'm in. Like, I'm going to stay with him the entire, there's no way I'm jumping out of a plane. It wouldn't matter. You couldn't push me out. I don't think I'm just going to be stuck right there. I wouldn't want to skydive. Now, if you go skydiving, many of y'all have in here, because some of y'all aren't sissies like me. Um, some of y'all in here, you've been skydiving before, and you can have all the knowledge of skydiving. You can. You can know how to pack your chute. You can know how or when the right time is to jump out of the plane. You can know how to arch your body as you fall. You can do all, you can do all the tricks. You can do all the fun stuff, all the flying stuff. And you can have all that knowledge. But if you go up in the plane and you decide to jump out of, your plane, out of the plane without your parachute on, everybody is going to think you're unwise. I remember watching, there's a show called Nitro Circus. It's got this um, guy named Travis Pastrana. He is a uh, dirt bike racer. And does a bunch of racing and stuff like that. I mean, if you've ever seen Nitro Circus, but they're also just a bunch of daredevils. They do what we would like to say unwise things, or as we say uh, in Oklahoma, stupid stuff. Like, just stupid things. And one of the things that he did, I kid you not, and it scared me to death. I was never really scared watching any of these shows before, but I remember watching him in a plane toss out his parachute and then him go after his parachute. I had never in my life like, been, like, had so much anxiety built up, like, if he's going to get this parachute, just watching this thing on TV, far removed from it, and he flies down, finds it somehow, gets it on, straps it on, pulls the chute, and you would never see me doing that, because it is incredibly unwise to do that. So having the knowledge is not the same as being wise. Being political season and all, there was a politician, he was driving the back roads during election season. He was not super thrilled about having to canvas the backwoods for votes. And he came upon an old farmer sitting in his tractor, slicing an apple for a little break. So the politician, already irritated by the job at hand, is thinking that, the, that farmers are so dumb and that he could get one over, he can get one over, yeah, easy over on him. He could just, you know, kind of uh, pull one, pull a fast one on him. So he pulls over and he asks the farmer if he'd like to play a little game. And the farmer, you know, he's tired. He just really honestly wants to take a break. And so he politely declines and tries to rest before he begins plowing the field again. Well, the politician persists, saying that the game is a lot of fun. He says, I will ask you one question. And if you don't know the answer, you pay me five bucks. He says, then you ask me one. And if I don't know the answer, I will pay you $500. This catches the farmer's attention. Catch anybody's attention. So to keep, the, uh, to keep the politician quiet, he agrees to play the game. The politician asks the first question, what is the distance between the earth and the moon? Well, the farmer sits there, he's sitting, he's eating his apple, he's like, I don't know. So he reaches into his pocket and he hands him $5. Now it's the farmer's turn, and he asks the politician, what goes up the hill with three legs and comes down with four? Well, the politician is like, man, I don't know. he thought for a while, and he got on his smartphone, and he began to look up, began to do all the Googling that we do, and we don't know an answer, sitting there trying to figure out what it is, searches all, calls a friend, phones a friend, hey, do you know the answer to this? He doesn't know. So the politician, he hands him $500. The farmer pockets 
the $500 and he fires up his tractor. The politician is going nuts, not knowing the answer, and he hollers at the farmer and asks, he says, well, so what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? And the farmer simply reaches into his pocket, grabs $5, and hands it to the, to the politician and continues on with his plowing. Now, we think about knowledge and we think about wisdom. We take a look at this story. Which one was knowledgeable and which one was wise? It's not hard for us to sit there and think. Anybody jumping out of a plane without a parachute is unwise, even if they have the knowledge on how to do it. Anybody who is smart and has all this information but then doesn't know how to apply that information is still not a wise person. Bill Murray, um, all of our friend, uh, he says, knowledge is like underwear. It's useful to have it, but it is not necessary to show it off. And I think we would all agree with that. Knowledge is good to have, but a wise person knows when to use it and not to. So we come here, James chapter 3. And James begins to talk and to begin to instruct the church on what wisdom is. So if you would, stand with me if you're able, stand with me as we read James chapter 3, 13 and following. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would transform our hearts. Lord, that we would every day, Lord, that every day we would strive to be more and more like Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that within this time, transformation happens within our heart. And God, may you convict us, challenge us, and change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So one of the things we're going to see this morning is that James describes here two types of wisdom. He talks, he talks about worldly wisdom and he talks about heavenly wisdom. And these are the two different types of wisdom that we can't have. But we also see that those with a genuine faith will walk according to the right kind of wisdom. And so we see that genuine faith walks in wisdom before others and before the Lord. So genuine faith walks in wisdom before others and before the Lord. First thing that James points out here is that godly wisdom is shown in godly living done in humility. It's done in humility. So he begins here, it's kind of what James does. He begins with these rhetorical questions. So who is wise and understanding among you? So he's referencing, again, he's talking to the church. He's saying, who among us here is wise and understanding? He's not expecting an answer, but he is saying, let's, let's, let's be honest, let's ask this question of ourselves. And he says, by his good conduct, the person who is wise or who has understanding, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So here we have 
James telling us, it's one thing to say that you are wise, or it's one thing to have knowledge, but are you in fact a wise person? And how is it that you know, or that, that people will know that you are wise? Well, it is actually something that is shown. It's something that can be seen. He says here, basically, what, he, what he's trying to tell us, he says, um, he says, prove your wisdom and understanding to me, and don't tell me how much you know. Show me your works. So he says, show me your works. Show me that you have wisdom. And how do you have wisdom? He says, in meekness, in meekness. I think oftentimes in our culture, we, we hear the word meekness, and we think um, weakness, You know, I've, I never heard growing up, um, other than maybe the Beatitudes, right, that, weak, or that meekness was ever something good to uh, strive toward. Because there is this sense of weakness in meekness. And that's not the, that's not the, the term that he's using here. The, the term here, meekness, um, really means humility. Not weakness, but humility, it comes from an understanding of our place as sinners in relationship to our perfect and glorious God. It's a, it's a proper understanding of who we are. That if we, are, if we have this wisdom, this heavenly wisdom that he talks about here, there's the earthly side and there's the heavenly side, the wisdom that we want and that we desire that comes from the Lord. It comes from an understanding of who we are and who God is. And when we understand who God is and who we are, we can't be anything but humble. Because we realize that we have nothing to offer a holy God. No matter how smart we are, no matter how awesome we are at one thing or another, we have nothing to offer God. And he has everything to offer us. And when we think about that, it should drive us to humility Because true wisdom produces good works and humility. So meekness, it does, it suggests a little bit of weakness in our modern understanding. But it is a condition of the mind and the heart, uh, of the, and the heart which demonstrates gentleness, not weakness. So when you think about what is meekness, meekness is simply controlled power. Controlled power, it's self-control. It is you have, that God has created us in such a way that um, we have this, this character made in the likeness of God and, it's, and we have this power, but what is meekness? Meekness is, yes, I've got power, but I can control it. And so he sits there and he tells us that we are to show works, show our works in the meekness of wisdom. So we have to ask ourselves, then, really, what is wisdom? You know, we have, we have this idea, as I'm wrestling with this this week, trying to figure out, like, how is it that you explain, like, um, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, so, like, like how do you explain what, what, this, what is the idea of wisdom? I think we all understand it. We all are, like, wise people. We all have, you know, we think about all these different people who are wise. You hear farmers all the time. I, I love farmer sayings. They all say funny things, like, just because they just grew up on farms and, you know, uh, um, or maybe your, your granddad had all these old funny sayings that didn't quite make sense to you, or my dad actually has one that says it'll feel better when it quits hurting. 
He'd said that all the time, you know, as a kid. Like, we tell it to my kids all the time. Like, yes, that's true, Dad. Thank you. There's knowledge in that as well. But the wisdom side, like, it will feel better when it quits hurting. Thank you, Dad. There's always kind of these weird sayings that people have. And we always say, oh, they're such a wise person. But truly, what is wisdom? Because the Bible tells us um, in Proverbs chapter 1-7 that the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. I remember hearing that as a kid going, why do I want to be fearful of God? Because I equate fear with, with being scared, with, you know, going to a, a Halloween walkthrough thing and being scared, jump scares and evil movies. And I never wanted to fear God. So what does that mean? But the idea of, of, of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. What does that mean? It simply means to fear the Lord means to have respect and awe and reverence. Again, it goes back to that idea of understanding who we are and who God is. So wisdom, we remember, begins with fear of the Lord. It enables us to discern what is right and just, according to Proverbs 2.9. It leads us to walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of righteousness, Proverbs 2.20. Again, an understanding of our relationship, of our position in our relationship to a holy God. This is different than what the Greeks understood. If you go way back to the beginning of chapter 3, Chapter 3, James begins, and he says, not many of you should be teachers. Why? Because those who teach are going to be held accountable for every single word. There was this, this Greek idea that, that there was some respect toward teachers because, one, they could read, and they were more knowledgeable. And so people took their word, and so you had to be careful on what you were saying as teachers. And so this idea of this elevated stature of teachers, this elevated position... It's the same thing that he's talking about here as well when it comes to, to wisdom. These wisdom, these people with, with quote-unquote wisdom are elevated amongst our culture and their culture at the time. He says, in stark contrast to the biblical perspective were certain Greek ideas of wisdom which prized intellectual ability and knowledge of even divine secrets, sometimes to the, de to the detriment of moral life. In other words, they would have all this information and all this knowledge that's just built up that wasn't really true wisdom. And because they had all this true understanding, true knowledge, we'll see here in just a second, they could justify anything that they wanted to do from a moral lifestyle. And this was happening within the church. And so, so um, James is sitting here and he's saying, listen, be careful, beware. Like if you say you have wisdom, prove it. Why? How do you prove it? In humility, not puffing yourself up like you have all this information. You know, wisdom is, is really just knowledge plus experience. We're going to get some understanding. And then understanding plus action, whether that's a physical action or a mental action, uh, equals wisdom. And sometimes, if we're honest, guys, you back me up on here, sometimes the best action is a non-action, right? It's a non-action. One of the things I'll do at night when I'm kind of bored is I'll flip through my Facebook and I'll watch some videos, and there's always somebody mouthing somebody else and who's going to get into a fight. I don't know what it is. I just think it's hilarious um, sometimes when you got the little dude against the big dude, and it's just kind of this thing. This guy's mouth, and this guy's not saying anything. But what happens is, is a lot of times, whether it's in our relationship, sometimes the thing that happens is to not say or do anything. The wisest thing to do when somebody's coming up to you, if they're trying to get up in your business, is to just not say nothing. You don't have to defend yourself. The wisest thing to do is not to come to blows or to mouth off back because something's going to happen. Guys, back me up on this too. When you're in a relationship with your wife, sometimes it's the best thing to just keep it zipped. Right? You're going to lose that one anyway. Right? Right or wrong. We just... 
it's, there's, there's sometimes the action is just a non-action. And so when we have knowledge and, you know, we, we get this, this understanding aspect of it, Together, knowledge and understanding, we become really wise people because you do have to have some knowledge to be wise, yes, but you also have to have some experience. Why is your granddad so wise or your great-granddad so wise? It's because he's had life experience, has understanding of those experiences. And so we go to him and we, we seek these people out. We seek wise people because they've walked our shoes before. And sometimes the wisest thing to do is to simply not do anything. So Dr. Douglas Moo, commentator, writes, he says, James is clearly trying to say two things here, that true wisdom produces good works and true wisdom produces humility. So James is calling out every single one of you. He says, if any of you believe you've got this figured out, do you live a righteous, humble life? Do you live a righteous, humble life? If we think we've got this wisdom thing figured out, do we live a righteous and humble life? We must see that this is not enough to simply, that it is not enough to do simply do good works. We are called to do them in humility. So James then, he challenges us, one, godly wisdom is shown in godly living done in humility. The second thing that he tells us is worldly, self-centered wisdom breeds conflict. I don't even know if we have to go much further. We, we understand this, right? That self-centeredness breeds conflict. He says in verse 14, he kind of transitions here from from the opposite of the first statement. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy, talking about envy, if you have selfish ambition, like this divisive behavior, that's what selfish ambition does, right? It divides. It puts you, um, uh, you in front more important than other people. Selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast. Do not boast and be false to the truth. Do not put confidence in. Do not put confidence in this false truth that you have. To boast about having wisdom, having it all figured out, and yet have jealousy and envy and selfish ambition is to lie about wisdom. Because true wisdom, according to what James is saying, must always be humble. I like how the Good News Bible says it. It says, don't sin against the truth by boasting of your wisdom. In other words, don't lie. Don't lie about having wisdom. So he's challenging the church. It says, you say you are, but are you truly? And if you're not, quit lying about it. In verse 15, he continues. He said, this... Referencing verse 14, wisdom that is bitter and selfish. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, talking about coming from heaven, coming from the Lord. But this is earthly. This is unspiritual. And this is demonic. Unspiritual. Not from the spirit. Not from God. But from earth. And then he says, it's, it's, it goes far enough to say that it is demonic. That it's, it's actually coming from Satan itself. That if you boast in wisdom, yet don't have it, and you're selfish... That it's coming from Satan. James says, you claim to have wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Your pride proves that you are empowered not by the Spirit, but by the devil. In verse 16, for where jealousy 
and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So jealousy and selfish ambition here are the two false traits of wisdom. Because, the, the, because uh, according to earthly wisdom, it's all driven by jealousy and selfish ambition. That yes, we want, we want to have all this information, to have all this knowledge, but why? It's so that we could better ourselves and make ourselves better than somebody else. And God says that's the opposite. It's the opposite. What you have is just simply worldly wisdom. And he says because of your worldly wisdom, there will be disorder. How many of you all have ever been in a relationship, whether that's at work, whether that's at home, um, wherever it may be, where somebody is just driven by jealousy and selfish ambition? It's not difficult for disorder to pop up. If you've had kids and you've reared kids and raised kids, you see this a lot. It's like you're just constantly trying to, uh, trying to raise these kids to not be selfish and to, to think about others first because they just want to think about themselves and you constantly are trying to uh, uh, show them and, and love them through these selfish acts and these jealous desires that they have. And all it does in your house is cause disorder. It makes it for not, fun, not a fun place to live. And he's saying that about the church as well. Like if this is what we're seeking is, is wisdom, is this knowledge, it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce jealousy and selfish ambition and the church is not going to be a fun place to be a part of when everybody's out for their own gain. And he says there will be disorder in every vile practice that you could think of. Because where the hearts of the individual Christians are wrong, when we're wrong about what God has for us and what God desires of us, an unlimited variety of sins will be found also. Through jealousy and selfish ambition, we will justify about every single sin that we can imagine. Why? It's because it's what we want to do. It's what I want to do. I'm not going to listen to what the Bible has to say. I'm not going to listen to what wiser people have to say. And I'm going to go ahead and justify this sin that I'm doing because I want to do what it is that I want to do. It's just selfish ambition. And that is not the heart of godly wisdom. So as we've seen all throughout the book of James, all throughout the book of James, we have seen that what James is referencing over and over and over again is that... Um, the, or the constant theme is that it's a heart issue. What we're dealing with is heart issues. Whether it's controlling of our tongue, it's what's in our heart. Out of our heart, the mouth speaks. When it comes to godly wisdom and how it is that we exhibit godly wisdom, it is through the heart. What is your heart about? Is your heart about you or is your heart about Jesus? Because genuine faith, as we've talked about this entire series, Genuine faith starts in the heart. So James is telling us here that we cannot claim to walk in godly wisdom if we are self-centered and self-seeking. In fact, he says, we're living a lie if we do so. He says that, that that kind of living is completely opposite of the godly wisdom we are called to because it does not produce good works in humility. So the first thing he points out again is godly wisdom is shown in godly living done in humility. The second thing he points out is that worldly self-centered wisdom breeds conflict. And the third thing 
that he points out to us here is that godly wisdom produces peace. Look in verse 17. But he sits there and he says he switches gears here. But the wisdom from above, talking about, we've talked about earthly, what earthly wisdom is. Now we're switching gears to what heavenly wisdom is. He says, wisdom from above is first pure. First pure. Talking about innocence or moral blameness. Then peaceable. Then gentle. It is open to reason. It's this idea of deference, this, this humble submission and respect when we talk about open to reason, being humble and respectful. Then he says, full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial, not divided in loyalty. This isn't about you and God. This is all together. We're on the same page. We're rocking and rolling. We're moving. And sincere or genuine. So this person, I don't know, I kind of think about it as, I, as, as, you, as you read it. I mean, you should be thrown back to a couple different passages in Scripture. The Beatitudes, for one. Blessed are the meek, right? And then you should, you should also think about the fruit of the Spirit. You know, that it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness, gentleness. Like when you think about what it is that godly wisdom produces, it's not far off from what the Bible tells us or the fruit of the Spirit. So those who are controlled and who have the Spirit living in them are going to produce fruit. And the fruit of wisdom is gentle, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere. So this person then is stable, trustworthy, and authentic with others, is truly a person of authentic faith. He concludes in verse 18. He says, what, what is the what is the end result of all of this? He says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A wise person makes peace because a wise person knows when to act and when not to. He's saying that that a harvest is like this, this righteousness can grow and flourish when this type of wisdom prevails. And if we truly have wisdom and understanding, then we will be marked by these characteristics. Wisdom, wisdom of the world is merely knowledge, but wisdom from above, that is transformational. It transforms the way we think, how we act, and what we do. Curtis Vaughn said this, he said, the true test of wisdom is works, not words. Is works and not words. I think you think back about the person in your life who you think is a wise person. My guess is not just because they have a bunch of words. It's because their actions back up their words. It is somebody who you trust because when they said they were going to do something, they did it. And so when they talk, you listen. Why? Because you have a respect for them. And God is saying here, and James is saying here, that wisdom, godly wisdom, is a wisdom of works, not merely words. Fellow Christians, this is what it is that we pray for, and I hope you pray for it. This is what I pray for every single day as I try to raise kids. This is what I pray for every single day as I try to do this job. It's what I pray for for my family, 
for my wife. It's what I pray for for Pastor Jeremy. What I pray for for you, that we would walk in wisdom every single day. Lord, give me wisdom to make it through this day. Because if it wasn't for you, who knows what was going to happen? Who knows what words I would say when I didn't mean to say it? Or what action I would take when I shouldn't take it? That's what we should pray for. Wisdom from above that our lives would be marked by humble works. So it should be very clear by now as we've walked through these first three chapters of, of James that genuine faith is, in fact, a matter of the heart because it's what's in here that is then lived out. So how should we respond today? So Christian, one of the things that we have to do, first and foremost, is we have to look at this as I look at this too, and I have to repent, and we should repent of our jealousy and selfish ambition. We should seek the Lord and pray for wisdom above that is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. So we should repent. That we should take ourselves off of the throne, we should put God on his rightful place, and we should follow and seek after him. Because that in itself is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe today, as if you're a believer, and that's a, that's a, that's a prayer that you need to pray, and you need to you need to pray. Pray at your seat. You can come up here in a second as we, as we move into our time of, of response. You can come. You can pray. You can seek the face of God and ask him to forgive you of your sin. Forgive us of our sin where we have sought after our own wisdom and earthly wisdom than the, than the wisdom from the Lord. And here just momentarily, Pastor Dave and Pastor Jeremy will be here. would love to have an opportunity to pray with you if you need somebody to pray with. Maybe here today you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You need to understand that the wisdom from above requires a heart change. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it's earthly wisdom. You're living off of earthly wisdom. Because wisdom from above requires heart change. How does that heart change? It, becomes, it changes by coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't experience this wisdom the Bible speaks of without a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I beg of you this morning... If you're here today and you don't have that relationship, if, you never, if you've not nailed it down and you know that you are, in fact, a sinner in need of a Savior, if you've never done that, I beg of you this morning, do not leave this place without coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Do not leave today. And if you would like someone to talk to you about that, momentarily I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand, and we're going to have a, a time of worship. Lights are going to dim. We're going to sing out of the gratitude for what God has done. On our behalf, we're going to sing to him. I'm going to be out in the lobby, in the foyer right out here. If you, have a, if you need to come into a relationship with Jesus, I would love to have that conversation with you. Please meet me outside. Please meet me right up behind those doors. We can have that conversation today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. And um, thank you for the transformation power that it has. God, I pray that each, each believer in this room would be a godly example of wisdom at work. 
So Lord, we pray for wisdom right now. We pray for wisdom in every aspect of our life, Lord, from, um, from our families. Give us wisdom in our families and all the different dynamics and craziness that happens within a family. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom at work as we have difficult conversations and difficult things. God, may you give us just a peace and a calmness, but Lord, give us wisdom as what to say and when to say it. Lord, may the wisdom that we seek be wisdom from above and not just this earthly wisdom that puffs up and is arrogant, but Lord, that it would be humble. Lord, so seek, Lord, we, we seek you and we ask God that you would help us. Help us grow in Jesus, Lord, that we would be humble, wise servants of him. Lord, for that person in here who doesn't know Jesus, it's my prayer that they wouldn't leave this room today. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit is convicting their heart right now. They can't explain it. They don't know what's going on. There's just something happening in their heart. They can't figure it out within their soul. And God, I pray that you would just give that person courage, Lord, to just have a conversation. Meet me in the back. That we could talk about how they can come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, for the rest of us in the room, Lord, may we repent, whether that's here at the platform, with Pastor Jeremy and Dave, whether that's in our seat. God, may we repent. Lord, may we strive to seek you. Father, we pray all these things in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.